Hi, everybody, and welcome back to East Screen, West Screen. This is show number nine for Tuesday, October 6th, 2009. Once again, I'm Paul Fox. And I'm Kevin. Haven't updated his blog yet, Ma. Oh, shame on you, Kevin. And today for our show, we're very pleased to uh, welcome to our third chair, a very special guest, Mr. Tim Youngs. Tim, welcome. Oh, hello. So, Tim, um, why don't you um, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about uh, what you've been up to. You're very active in the uh, Asian film community and particularly here in Hong Kong. Um, I, I remember at one time... Uh, reading your site, your, your site, which was um, just, what was it, just another Hong Kong movie site? Another Hong Kong movies page. Yeah, another Hong Kong movies page. Um, but you've been active in a lot of areas in terms of festival work. Um, so w- what have you been up to? Well, um, the website is pretty much dormant nowadays. I It tapered off when I became extremely busy. Uh, one of the things I do a fair amount of work with is the Far East Film Festival in Udine in Italy Uh, and for that I work on the Hong Kong Film Program and I also work with other festivals like the HKIFF on their program notes for example and I do freelance work for film companies whenever possible. Mm -hmm. Um, Beyond that I'm just a Hong Kong film fan. I Obviously I joined you two for Thursday Night Movies at the Dynasty and elsewhere and I enjoy following Hong Kong film. Ah yes, movie night. Favorite night of the week, if there's a Pretty. local film in town. Um, all right, well, let's. We're, we're glad to have Tim with us this week, and we hope to uh, have some interesting conversations for this episode. But for now, let's move on to some news. Starting off from some news around the harbor, um, I guess the first bit of relevant news we can talk about is that there are two Herman Yao films coming out this month. Uh, we've got Split Second Murders, which is coming out this Thursday. And then he has another film, Rebellion, which is being released next week, if I have my dates correct. Um, and Rebellion, I think, Tim, you were mentioning earlier, is actually a bit of an older film. So uh, what do you guys think about uh, these two coming films? Kevin, you want to start off? Yeah, um, I've seen the trailers for both movies, and I myself look forward to Rebellion more. Um just because, you know, Herman yeah, wrote it himself and it was promising Ada Choi as a, as a foul language spewing mafia boss. But one thing that troubles me about that movie is that it was a Category 3 and then now it's released as Category 2B. I don't know, do you know what happened with that, Tim? No, I don't. Um, I've actually seen the film, but I saw it on video um, quite a while ago. And what you say about Ada Choi is right. Uh, she was quite foul-mouthed. Uh, in the film Um, and I'm not quite sure how it's changed I'm really curious to see when it comes into the cinemas now Tim do you do you the the cut that you saw was that a category three cut or had it already been uh, reduced down I honestly don't think it would have been rated at that point Um, this was to see it just you know in advance through a film company Mm. Um, and they were, you know, promoting the film at Film Mart earlier this year. Um, but I think they've just been holding off for the right time to to release it. And I guess right now is a good moment because Herman Yao is quite hot after Turning Point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's definitely getting a lot of attention. Um, what are what are your thoughts, Tim, on his movie this week, uh, Split Second Split Second Murders? I'm really looking forward to it. I, I hope that that's not misplaced or anything, but, uh, you know, it's got Farmer in it, and I quite like them, uh, yeah. the, the hip-hop duo. 
Um, I'm just hoping it's enjoyable. Normally, Herman Yao films have something that's uh, surprising, entertaining. Often, there's something to say about Hong Kong. Yeah, I think I, I think I was uh, I posted the trailer up on on the site um, for people to see. Even though, unfortunately, the one I found on YouTube didn't really have any uh, English subtitles attached to it. But one of the things I mentioned was that, um, as far as local directors go, I think he's really talented in the, his ability to do more with less. Um, he's really able to work through the fact that he's got next to no budget and still produce work that, you know, is very often very entertaining and typically has a, a more critical side to it with regard to certain topics uh, in local society. And that's those are the parts that usually draw me in uh, for, for a lot of his films. It's definitely quite amazing that he managed to do two movies where essentially the, the announcement to release dates has been something like half a year, mm. both Split Second Murders and, uh, and Laughing Gall. And of course, remember guys, Split Second Murders has Chrissy Chow. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's probably going to draw some, some males in, at least, to ticket sales. <laughs> but Kevin, what do you, I mean, I am a little bit worried, um, you know, because it's got such a, a big cast of sort of neophyte up-and-coming stars um does that does that worry you at all in terms of is this something that he you think is just going to be playing for commercial value totally or um any of anything about that bother you well even herman yao said i think yesterday in the newspaper that he was worried when he was filming because he knew he was working with a lot of idols because of commercial reasons and even himself that they turned out quite well or quite fine actually so you know i trust herman yao the ability to handle these these um, idol stars, unlike you know some other directors. Not going to name names though. Okay, uh, Tim, what are your thoughts on the the starlet who we've seen quite a bit of uh, this year? Uh, Kay, uh, Kay Tse. What, what do you think of her? Um, I think I've only seen her in the Patrick Kong film, so I'm, I'm otherwise I I haven't really been following her to be honest. Well, she was okay in the Patrick Kong film. I think. Oh yeah, yeah. Do you think that she's uh, she's got a uh, she's going to have the ability to compete with maybe the the Steffies and the Charlenes and um, sort of the other female leads who are who are in that same group? I think what? part of it depends on what company is backing her. Um, do you know which company that is? Uh, she's Universal. Oh, okay. so, but she's a, she has a different vibe to it. She has a more mature feeling plus you know she's married she already had a kid so she's definitely trying she's gonna have to or have just a potential to fill in the the sammy the the older sort of not quite old but not too young idol gap that we have these days with female actresses mm. Mm, that's an interesting point yeah all right well let's move on to our next story a uh, little bit of local news with regard to production and that is um, author and producer and sometimes actor and uh, sometimes film commentator Bay Logan has been released from his contract with the Weinstein brothers um, that he had with an office here. Um, Kevin, do you have more details on this story? Yeah, apparently the Weinsteins have been um, cutting down their staff, which includes... Mr. Logan himself and also the rest of the Hong Kong office. But as the report says, he will be staying on as a quote unquote acquisition consultant. And so that means, you know, he still has a connection with the Weinsteins, I guess, no hard feelings. And also he'll be uh, starting his own production company, which um, will 
produce、uh, Michael Bean's directorial debut.、Mm. Yeah. And Tim, been... any any thoughts on this? I I know that for a while the Weinstein's were sort of a, weren't they in charge of quite a number of、uh, local films in terms of overseas release and distribution? Oh well, of course the most. The best-known one among the fan community would have to be the Dragon Dynasty label,、um, and they've they've done quite a, a fair amount of stuff,、mm. bringing out Shaw Brothers releases and a few modern films,、uh, things like PTU, for example, got a release through them.、Mm. So you know they've they've done quite well、uh, in recent years, keeping keeping a flow of films coming out. Um, now, in the West. now that the local office is is sort of closing down, do you think there's going to be a void? In terms of、uh, maybe distribution, especially for new newer formats like they say Blu-ray,、uh, or possibly digital distribution, if something like that were to ever happen for local films. Honestly, I don't know what films they're actually holding,、um, but I, I'm guessing that they would have a bit of a back catalog to go still. Well, they also have the the thirty whatever million dollar Asian Film Fund, which only has done finished one film, Shanghai, and that movie has been. Push back again and again, and also they've got the supposedly the remake of the Seven Samurai. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So we'll just have to sort of wait and see how this plays out.、Um, I'm not going to make any predictions for、uh, Bay Logan's production company, but、um, because we like to be positive here, we will wish him the best, and we do hope that、uh, that those people who were let go by the Weinstein company. Um, can find jobs in other areas of the industry.、Uh, it's sad to see that the local industry has been, you know, taking a hit, and this is just one more element of that. I don't know. Do you think this is related to the financial crisis at all, or is it just a case that maybe、um, local films are not doing well in terms of sales overseas? I think it's something to do with、um, Weinstein Company on the Hollywood front. They've been In financial trouble for、um, last year, year and a half, two years, their films in America have not done well. So it's just what's happening. What's happening in Hollywood sort of just affecting what's happening here. I think. All right. Well, let's move on to some news from around the globe. And for our first story, Kevin's got a little bit of news about some Japanese remakes. Yep.、Um, as I have reported before in my blog, I think、um, Japan is doing a remake of the Hollywood film Sideways. And、uh, if you read the Hollywood Reporter this week, there was a screening at the Foreign Correspondents Club in Tokyo. So they were talking about how much、um, free product placements there were in the film, and、um, also the director,、um, I think a Japanese-born American or an American born in Japan, essentially. He's、um, he reviews that if The movie does well, then it will open the path for more remakes of Hollywood movies in Japan.、Um, I haven't seen Sideways yet. I've seen the trailer for the Japanese remake, and it just seems like a much tamer creature from the previous film. Because have you seen Sideways, Paul?、Um, no, I haven't seen it.、Um, I've heard pretty good things about it, but、uh, yeah. I just haven't had a chance to get around to watching it. Yeah, those who've seen would know there's a pretty nasty edge in it. And what the trailer shows, the Japanese trailer shows, is that it just loses a lot of it. I think it's interesting that if Japan sort of moves into this territory of doing Hollywood remakes, because for so long it's been sort of the opposite. It's been Hollywood sort of stripping out、uh, the content there, or, or the Asianness, if you will, of a lot of Asian films, like you know, Infernal Affairs or The Grudge or 
um, the ring and sort of remaking them in the Hollywood image. So I think it's kind of neat and interesting to see it done from the reverse perspective. I think the interesting is, thing is that now um, Japanese film are done on such low budget. It's interesting to see how they will be able to compete with Hollywood on maybe maybe just 10% of the budget for original films. Because I heard Sideways was made for only 2 to $3 million US. Hmm. And it was shot in America of American crew. So if, it, if there's any more down the line, it'll be interesting to see how they pull it off. Yeah, we'll definitely have to see the original Sideways to be able to do some comparison. All right, our next bit of news. Uh, Transformers 3 gets the go-ahead, and it looks like that uh, both Shia LaBeouf and Megan Fox have been signed on board, as well as, as some of the other cast members from uh, Transformers 2. So, Kevin, what do you think about this news? Is this something that makes you excited to the root of your very being? <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry, I just returned from puking. Um <laughs> No, no, why? Well, it, it's it's something expected, you know. Yeah. We can say movie made this much money, it, it'd be stupid to not go for a third movie. But you know, after what they've done the second movie, just it's gotten so huge and so unbelievably bombastic. Is where are they gonna take the third movie? Yeah, it's 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 definitely sort of pushing the the limits of the whole marketing and and toy business and. Uh... And all of that. Um, Tim, do you have any thoughts on these big franchises? Uh, afraid not. I haven't even seen either of the uh, first two Transformers films. Mm. Lucky you. <laughs> well, the first one wasn't too bad. I mean, I was a, I was a, I was a fan growing up, and the the second one there was a couple really good scenes, but most of it was just, you know, it was just way too much exposition, and the story really didn't make sense, and it was just they were really just trying to try too hard to get these few moments of, you know, basically giant robot special effects battles um, in between lots of long and boring sequences of Sheila Buff and Megan Fox. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure I'll go see Transformers 3. I just wonder what this means for something like, you know, Kung Fu Cyborg. Um, does, this, <laughs> does this guarantee a Kung Fu Cyborg <laughs> return in the future of, you know, sometime next year or, or not? Autobots! transform all right uh our final bit of news uh kind of relating back to hong kong all this is this is taking place overseas is that edison chen has gotten a role in an overseas Amer american produced film um which will he'll be starring he does apparently he doesn't have the starring role but he was offered it and this film is going to be starring kelly who who I think some people remember as uh, Lady Deathstrike from, I think she was in the second X-Men film, um, probably a little bit more well-known for her TV series with Sammo Hung, Martial Law, that was on the States for, I think, uh, about two seasons. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, Kevin, what, what can you tell us about this little bit of news? Um, what I've been told, or what I've read from uh, the local press is that it's a small film, uh, not really a quote-unquote Hollywood film um and that he was yeah like i like you said before to paul he he confirmed that he was offered a starring role for this movie but then he said because he hasn't been um acting for a year um so he rejected it and took a supporting role instead but what's interesting is that um the hong kong press uh picked it up and put it on the front page of course 
and then also they also analyzed uh, Kelly Who's career, you know, saying that you know she had a peak, little peak for a while, martial law and X Men movie, and now she couldn't get a, a better starring role. So now she's just sort of slumming on TV. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, yeah. she she I mean aside from uh, from X Men, I don't think she's really been. Um, she's had a strong presence in films, but she has done you know lots of cameos on TV. Um, and she did have the martial lost in which, which I, I think she's really good. I mean, I, I, I could see her as a, as a leading lady and apparently this is a romantic comedy. So, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think that it's anything against her that she hasn't been given enough breaks at this point, but, um, we'll have to just wait and see. I mean, um, you know, Edison is still very much, even though we've got a lot of the local starlets who were involved in that scandal, sort of trying to make a comeback, Jillian's pushing her career back and um, Bobo uh, Bobo Fung was um, very active over the summer and doing some promotion. Um, mm-hmm. But it doesn't seem like people are, you know, ready to forgive Edison, at least locally. Um, Tim, do you have any, any thoughts about any of this? Sorry, not really. I, I've only skimmed through the news. Well, do you think that, uh, do you think that he will, it would do well in Hong Kong or actually do you think snipers box office, Anything to do with Edison's, the whole Edison thing, whether it did well or badly? Oh, yeah. And I think there's that uh, curiosity value that that he brings. Uh, same thing happened with Batman as well. I mean, people were going to see that to a certain extent here to to see a glimpse of Edison in that big Hollywood film. Yeah. They just got yeah, a, blur- was, was a blurry a... glimpse was all they got, though. Yeah, there was a lot of talk about it after people saw it. They were, they were complaining about Edison being only seen in blur, but still they talked. Exactly, and before the film came out, it was also part of the publicity for the film in a way. So actually, this movie might end up doing better in Hong Kong than in America. It's time to move on to our East Screen film for the week. And this week, we're looking at the National Day release of The Founding of a Republic, Um, a story that sort of tells or retells the emergence of the Chinese Communist Party uh, during the nationalist period in China and some of the contentions between the leader Mao Zedong and uh, Chiang Kai-shek, who was the leader of the Nationalist Party at the time. A very patriotic and nationalistic film, obviously with themes that are going along with some of what's being presented for National Day. Um, So let's start with Tim. Uh, Tim, what were your thoughts on the film? Well, uh, frankly, it was a lot better than I expected. Uh, I went in, um, you know, expecting something that would uh, be a bit didactic and the like, but actually it was uh, quite enjoyable. you know, as a star-spotting exercise, it, it, it's just e- extremely good uh, with, what, 170-something stars, apparently. Um, 
it's also quite interesting to watch because you you get a feeling that uh, you know history is being reshaped to a certain message at times. Yeah, yeah. Um, Kevin, how how did how do you think you received the film? Did you feel uh, any more nationalistic upon upon viewing, or what were your major observations? I, I thought I was going to be angry. I mean, let's not get from an ideological point of view, but you know, it's hard to avoid that when you talk about a movie like this. But you know, I thought I was gonna be angry at the end. But you know, by the end, I was kind of bored mm-hmm. because if you, the structure of the film is just exposition and exposition. It's meetings after meetings, and then smaller meetings about bigger meetings, and at the end, they have a huge meeting, and then the nation is established. It's just a really talky film. And for those people who don't know about the history, and those who want to know, they're just not gonna find a very engaging film. I think. Yeah, and well, I th- I think that's a good point. Um, I was talking to one of the uh, professors at the school at which I work, um, who's an older Chinese man who sort of grew up during that period. Uh, he, he was in Shanghai as a young child uh, before coming to Hong Kong sort of around that time. And so for him, he really enjoyed it. And he really liked seeing the portrayals of some of these key figures um, who are at these meetings and, 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 and at these events. And so I think for him, the film resonated very strongly on that sort of remembrance and recognition level in terms of the historic retelling. But I do think that that it, there were certain moments, um, at least for me and from my knowledge of history uh, of that period, and certain messages, I think, that were associated with Mao and certainly associated with Mao after he came to power that were sort of being respun to kind of meet the current party agenda and the, the promotion of current party ideals, which really w- w- was not the agenda of Mao, particularly um, after 1949, when they had established and had set themselves up. Uh, Tim, did you have some further thoughts you wanted to share? Yeah, I mean, you're bringing up things that happened after the founding of the Republic. And when when you're watching the film, it is a problem that when you start thinking about what happened after the glorious founding of the Republic, and, uh, you know, it's not such a rosy picture. Uh, had the story continued, you'd uh, come across things that, you know, just aren't so comfortable in a film like this, which is supposed to be, uh, you know, rousing patriotic sentiment. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I, I know that one of the things the film did for me is it got me much more interested in Sort of revisiting uh, my my knowledge of Mao and sort of his background, so I went out and and bought uh, the I guess it's a somewhat controversial book called Mao: The Unknown Story uh, by Jun Chang, and so I'm reading through that now and and getting some of a refresher on you know what Mao was like growing up in his childhood and some of his attitudes, and yeah, it's really it's 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 the the picture is quite different from uh, what records and things that people have sort of dug up seem to portray of him uh, as opposed to what we see in movies. But that's what movies do. Um, you know, movies can highlight certain elements of, of people. And, you know, Mao has certainly had the cult of personality shaped around him, um, even more so since the opening of China in 78. Um, so I guess we can look forward to you know, more of this, because Kevin, you were saying that they've actually decided to do a sequel uh, in, is it 2012? 
Yeah, I think it's so, it's more like a prequel. This is for the uh, Communist Party's 90th anniversary. It will be founding of a party, apparently. Okay, so um, this will be yeah. the telling of... So this will be even more interesting to see. Yeah, and Han Samping has already said it will have more stars. <laughs> I don't know how many stars there are left in China that hasn't done one of these movies. Yeah, well, it, it, that brings up a good point because, um, you know, Tim, you were saying there's over, you know, 150 or 170 stars um, in this. Do you think that that sort of gimmick detracts from the overall content of the film or do you think it adds value because it's going to bring more people in? Oh, it definitely adds value. Um, I mean, it gets people into the cinemas because uh, I mean, you, you just need to look at how people were staring at the poster in train stations in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as actually watching the film goes, it's constantly distracting. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes you're trying to recognize people in their in their costume. Uh, there's a constant stream of names on screen identifying who each person is playing. Um, and that's very, very hard to keep track of in a two-hour-plus movie. Well, and, and, and so- I think that for myself, one of the things that um, sort of, I guess it bugged me about the whole thing was that there seemed to be presentation of a lot of characters that these stars were playing that were really unnecessary for the storytelling. The first one that stuck out in my mind, for example, was Jet Li, who who comes on screen as sort of this... Uh, naval admiral and basically he's got a few lines about how he's going to step down because he doesn't want to be involved in a civil war and you know he's there for less than a minute and then that's it and a lot of the cameos are like that I mean I remember uh, Tony Lang Kafai didn't even have any dialogue in his he just kind of like ran between scenes up. and and yeah, that was it for a really lame joke it was a really lame joke it was him popping in there and then he's popped out yeah. it, it should have uh, been cut out yeah. yeah, and I I guess, you know, I'll, to be a little bit honest, I was a little bit angry because I had to wait for over two hours before I could see Andy Lau come on screen. <laughs> that had me a little bit annoyed. Um, but even some of the more substantial scenes, like Lai Meng, um, he had actually a couple scenes. It just didn't really seem to be, you know, overly relevant to have a lot of these stars there. And I did get the same sense that Tim was saying that it was a little bit distracting. It really was because my girlfriend was sitting next to me on the left, and she's from mainland China. People who read my blog knows, and she was just, "Oh, who? Who does her? There's that person. There's that person. There's that person." So you could tell that any. I'm sure that most Chinese theaters, when they show this movie, it would be people, people going, "Hey, there's that person. There's that person." You know, they're not really watching the movie, just watching the stars. But you know, good for them. You know, help them make a lot of money. But still, yeah, it's you know, on a marketing standpoint, it's really good. But as a cinematic point of view, it's, it's really distracting, like Tim said. Hmm. And uh, uh, Tim, what what do you think about? Because um, we talked a little bit about this in the last episode, but what do you think about some of the other films? Like, I think we've got the message coming in a few weeks that are sort of dealing with the same time period, um, or or other films that have come out. We've talked about before, like uh, Ip Man, um, or or some of the others that build into this nationalist sentiment. Do you think this is sort of healthy for the film industry, or do you think it could be problematic? Well, it's healthy in that it's keeping a lot of people employed and that it's still getting a lot of bums on seats. Uh, films like Ip Man did very well. I mean, what I'm uncomfortable about is when they you know, have things in there that aren't really following uh, history too accurately. That That's always problematic. 
actually, you know, it's, it's to be expected that they would do, you know, these, they would twist history to make the Communist Party look good. But what I was surprised about the film was how, how positive they portrayed the Kuomintang and, and uh, Chiang Kai-shek and his son and things like that. Yeah, that's one of the most uh, amusing things in the film, in a way, uh, like the idea that Chiang Kai-shek went to Taiwan to, uh, you know, let, let things get sorted out in China and China to go on to be a glorious country. <laughs> yeah, and, and this is one thing that quite a few people have been pointing out, that this is a much sort of softer portrayal of the character um, as opposed to other films where he's been portrayed in the past as a much more kind of stern and rigid and uh, very antagonistic character. I think the portrayal of the KMT is very ironic because uh, there are two points in the film about the Kuomintang that really stuck out. Is that one, uh, the Communist Party broke apart from them because um, the Kuomintang wanted a one-party government. That's one thing. And then the second one was uh, Chiang Kai-shek's line about um, why he doesn't want to uncover corruption or the, 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 the dilemma uncovering corruption because if you uncover it, then you then you um, disrespect the party. But if you don't uncover it, then you disrespect the country. It's actually it's so timely and yeah, how ironic yeah. is happening in communist China right now. Yeah. Um, what of one of the things that I I thought was kind of interesting from my perspective, and I'd like to ask you guys about is some of the war footage that we see. Um, sometimes it's in black and white. Uh, sometimes the, the the color matching seems off, and I got the impression that some of this was footage that was taken from elsewhere, and sort of inserted in. Um, it, it, is that a possibility, or do you think that all this was was created just for this film? Yeah, I've been told that that um, they use a lot of stock footage, and the actor who played Mao Tong Guo Chang, he's played Mao so long that there was a scene uh, a black and white scene where you see a younger version of him i think that was just him playing mao you know like a decade ago or two decades ago in an older movie i mean there's some obvious uh, stock footage toward the end and the actual tiananmen scenes uh i think a lot of the battlefield scenes are probably done by the the august 1st film studio which specializes in, in that kind of thing they're actually thanked in the credits yeah, and the film only cost $30 million from MB. So even without, the actors didn't get paid anything. So even without that, you know, that's a really low production budget. Yeah, and this is not a film that, that really highlights um, any significant battles or anything like the Long March in any re really relevant way. It, it's more using them as sort of chapter points to advance the timeline ahead. Um, but, you know, again, it, it, if you're really interested, I think if you're someone who's really interested in history and seeing some of the discussions sort of dramatized, then this is a film that you probably enjoy very much. Um, Tim, would you recommend this to, you know, people who are generally have, have, a, have an interest in cinema, but not so much an interest in Chinese history? Not so much. I think if you have an interest in China today and also Chinese history, yes, definitely see it. Kevin, how about you? Um, those who want to know the history will probably not, but you know, those who are interested and actually knows the the big picture, I would say just you know check it out as a curiosity factor. Yeah. And now there's another film, Kevin, that you were mentioning um, that takes place around this same time period. Is it uh, Tiananmen you're talking about before? Yes, Tiananmen, I believe, is about. The these laborers who repaired the Tiananmen Square, 
before Chairman Mao did his big uh, tour across Tiananmen, which is actually a scene in the Founding Republic. And apparently that scene was also recreated in in the Tiananmen, the film as well. But I haven't seen the film and I don't think... Um, Tim, you haven't seen the film, right? No, I haven't. It's on at the Patriotic Film Festival right now, a Chinese film panorama, but um, I think I'll wait for it to turn up in a cinema. Yeah, and I've been told, I, I, I know someone who saw it yesterday, and he he didn't like Founder Republic, but he said he liked this, you know, quote-unquote for a propaganda film. It's not bad. That's what he said. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, move on to our West Screen topic this week, um, and that is the film from Hollywood called Surrogates. And Kevin, you've just come back from a screening of this. Yes, I just returned. It's a second to last night at the UA Wampoa, and I went to check it out. And so this is the film I watched. And this will probably be the last film you ever watch in the Wampoa Theater, won't it? Yeah, and I've heard that Golden Harvest might be taking it over, but still, it's the last chance to get the UA Wampoa ticket mm. stuff. And they were giving away free stuff. It's very nice. I got a bunch of free stuff that they were just shoving it to people coming in. Mm. It's very fun. So as a final sort of closing film for the for the Wampoa cinema, how do you think Surrogates stacked up? What was your what was your feeling? Why don't you tell us a little bit about the, the story of what it's about and maybe some of your thoughts on it? Uh, the story is uh, takes place in the near future. Um, it's about a world where um, people have been replaced by these things called surrogates, um, which are essentially robots that move and look and act just like humans. But um, and so then regular humans, they're they can stay at home while they get online on their little surrogates, and they can be whoever they want. They can look however they like. So everyone in the world is suddenly really pretty and. Um, crime has gone down dramatically, and actually, this is one point I don't get: why has sexism and racism gone down? But anyway, that's a point they uh, come up with in the film. Anyway, but then there's this um, small group of renegades, the human uh, the dreads. I think the nickname is that they don't—they're against this. Um, I think the, the the name they had was sur- surrogacy. Is that Paul? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, surrogacy. So. Um, yeah, so they've been trying to maybe setting up some kind of war of the humans or some kind of revolution. Anyway, uh, Bruce Willis plays a cop who also has a surrogate, um, and he's trying to investigate a murder where um, surrogates have been murdered and along with their operators. And uh, as he uncovers the mystery, uh, of course, he finds out a big conspiracy and blah, 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 and so on and so forth. I don't want to reveal too much about the plot because the film is very short, 89 minutes or so. So I feel like if I reveal anything beyond the basic premise, it, it feels like I would have ruined, you know, two-thirds of the film. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, I, my the, people, the person I saw it with, a uh, German classmate of mine, he he put it actually quite well. He said, yeah, I, he said uh, the movie came 20 years too late. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it has some okay ideas and the director Jonathan Mostow has been known for directing action films like Breakdown U571 he also did T3 and I think he did fine here on the action front but um I thought that everything was really superficial these ideas that were never really fully explored the mystery itself is not that compelling and yeah it just felt like it had a good setup but it didn't follow through Hmm. and I think that at its core what you basically have is it's a it's a cop film 
with Bruce Willis, um, doing a very similar role that he's done in the past with other other cop films. And I, I kind of am of the same mind that this probably would have been a great film in the 90s, but today it looks, even even some of the effects they were doing um, looked a little bit dated. Um, they, they, they weren't really sort of up to uh, higher level higher level quality in terms of uh, some of the things they were doing with the CG. And I just found a lot of the characterizations kind of shallow. I mean, um, you, you've got one villain character who's set up and his name is the prophet, you know, so it's, it's, <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah, I mean, it's played by Ving, Ving Rames, who's great. But here he's just sort of like this cookie cutter villain. And it's pretty easy, you know, it, it's pretty easy to, to sort of figure out, you know, what his role is and, and, and the roles of other people. There's no real, there's no real great mysteries. They try and play with the technology a little bit, but here the technology doesn't really make sense. It's like they've got these super realistic robots that when they're out on, out on the street, you can't tell, you know, these aren't like the robots in, um, in, uh, uh, what was the Will Smith one? I robot, you know, robot, which, yeah. which they're, they're very clearly robotic here. They, you know, they, they look just like people. They never say how people can afford these, you know, it's like, and, and your point, you know, they make the point that racism and, and, uh, sexism has declined and I guess they're saying because on the internet you know similar to when you have an avatar on the internet nobody knows your identity so therefore they don't know what you are in reality and they'll they're everybody's sort of on an equal playing field well who knows if that would really play out in you know in, in, in a world like this where everybody is sort of associating through these mediated machines um, the thing is it's, it's not really a convincing reality anyway I just don't well, they try and, you know, it's it's in the beginning of the film, they try and set it up with realistic achievements. They show, like, YouTube videos of some, some of the professors in Japan who've created, like, duplicates of themselves, these very realistic-looking robots, and they, they start with that, and then they I think it's like a period of 14 years where the mm -hmm. technology develops so well that these things are like, you know, Terminator frames with, you know, ultra-realistic ultra skin and... The, you know, the ability to go in and change out eye color and facial form. And again, if you wanted a female avatar, you could have it. But they never really address some of the deeper, you know, social issues that would go along with this or how people pay for it or anything like that. And as you were saying, it's just a very sort of surface level wash of, of this. And again, it's, you know, it's kind of fun for a cheesy sci-fi film. And if you like cheesy sci-fi, which I tend to like, you know, it's an enjoyable sort of matinee experience. Um, but I don't think this is going to be, you know, competing with, um, you know, it's not going to be, it's certainly not among the, the classic Bruce Willis films. I mean, if, if you're somebody like me who thinks of something like The Fifth Element, um, this doesn't really compare to that at all. This reminded me more of uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger sci-fi film, uh, Six Day. Yeah. That kind of mid-budget, everything overly bright, kind of feeling yeah, yeah yeah and and also actually I, I give credit to filmmakers because they at least they had good excuse to do two things one fill the movie with pretty people and they can explain why and two hire really bad actors yeah because surrogates aren't supposed to show any emotions and that's what you get people without any emotions
Well, let's move on to our Flying Buddha Picks of the Week. Um, This week, we want to talk about some films that are situated around the same time period as uh, the founding of a republic. So, Kevin, uh, what's your pick for this week? This pick was actually quite difficult for me to make um, because the only one I could, the only film I could think of that's worth recommending uh, that takes place around that period would be Ang Lee's Lust Caution. Um, unlike uh, Founder Republic or Chinese-made uh, films about that period, uh, Lust Caution has a fairly sympathetic portrayal of uh, so-called Chinese trader, uh, the character played by Tony Leung, who works for the Japanese government. Um, and of course, there, there's the um, as an espionage, espionage thriller is is quite well done. This um, and as a film about you know sexual desire, obviously there's that drawing point. And I think it's an all round just a fairly good film. Um, so even if it's not about that period, or even if you're not trying to look for a balanced portrayal of of um, of conspirators, I think this is still a fairly good movie to watch. All right. And my pick for this week is going to be the classic Anita Moy film from the 1990, I believe it was, uh, Kawashima Yoshiko, which is based upon the true story of the 14th daughter of Emperor Shu. She was related to uh, Puyi, um, and she was actually sent over to Japan and educated there. And then she came back uh, and was very active during sort of the nationalist period when communism was um, still in sort of its foundational roots in trying to secure uh, Puyi's position uh, for the Manchurians. And ultimately, she was not successful, obviously, as history tells. And um, this film, um, well, I would not say it's a completely accurate portrayal uh, in terms of being, you know, sort of a, 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 a film biography, if you will. Uh, it is still very entertaining. You've got two big stars, both uh, Andy Andy Lau uh, starring and Anita Moy, who is just one of my personal favorites um, for uh, any any of any Hong Kong actress. Uh, it's also got some classic actors in it, like uh, Patrick Tse and I.D. Chan. Uh, it was directed by uh, Eddie Fong, and it again, it's not a it's not a super accurate um, retelling of her life. But it is very entertaining, especially if you're somebody who likes uh, the actors of of the 90s of this period. And uh, I think that the two of them, Andy Lau and Anita Moy, certainly had a chemistry that, you know, they carried over in films that they did together. So if you're looking for something that's set around this same time period, uh, this might be one that you'd want to check out. So we'd like to thank Tim for sitting in with us um, in our third spot this week. Um, and you were mentioning before that your website's kind kind of in a 
uh, deactivated mode right now, but do you have anything uh, that you're working on or any fil upcoming film festivals that you'd like to make mention of for people to be aware of? Not really. There's, there's quite a long wait uh, for Far East Film, which is uh, coming up uh, next April, actually. So it's a fair way off. Well, um, again, we thank you all for listening. If, if you're out there and you'd like to follow along with what we're doing and some of the progress of our shows, you can follow along at our website, www.kongcast.com. That's K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T.com. If you'd fight, like to follow along with what Kevin's up to and his uh, various exploits, film watching and filmmaking, uh, Kevin, how can people uh, keep in touch and keep tabs on what, what you're up to? I think the best way to follow me these days is on my Twitter, uh, the Golden Rock, one word. Um, and also, um, I got the blog, I love HK Film. Is that the, the unupdated blog? Kevin? The unupdated blog. I'd, I pro this week is really packed, but uh, I, I promise I will update. Uh, even if it's not a news post, I would try to find some way to update it. Maybe I'll write about the UA1 poll. That's part of my next thing. And also, you can read my reviews at lovehkfilm.com. I'll have... Uh, Founding Republic, and also a few Korean movies coming up uh, whenever Boss Koza updates. All right, we'll look forward to reading those. So next week, uh, we'll hope to be back and to talk about uh, Herman Yao's Split Second Murders, and finally, at long last, talk about District 9, uh, I think which uh, both Kevin and I have seen, and um, I particularly really enjoyed, so I'll be looking forward to talking about that. So until then, we will wish you good viewing, and we will see you next time. See you next time, y'all.